you all for being here. And you know, like my wife said, we love this church. This is our home church. And uh, we are so appreciative of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev from their teaching. It's phenomenal. It's the best I know of in the world. And uh, we've been all over the place. So I'm, I'm telling you, this is the best you get. And we are so honored to be considered their friends. That's even amazing to me. So anyway, we're very blessed. We love you. And we thank you so much for having us. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want to talk to you today about guarding against deception. <clears throat> because the first thing Jesus said to the apostles when they asked him, uh, what's the sign of your coming? And he said, take heed that you be not deceived. Now, we see deception in the world today. I mean, especially since 2020, it's been overwhelming, but it's also in the church. There's a lot of false teachings. There's a lot of compromise of the word. There's even uh, ignoring the word altogether and tolerating sin uh, in the form of compassion. You know, so there's, there's all these kind of things going on today. So we need to really be careful. And deception is subtle. You know, it, it creeps in on us. And, uh, you know, rat poison is 99% good food and only 1% poison. But the 1% poison is fatal to the rat. So we got to watch and guard our minds what we hear, what we see, and so forth. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 10.1, an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom. And that's true. And Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in the past, said, how tiny a drop of sinful distrust of God's word will poison all the thoughts of the soul. So we really got to guard ourselves. So I'm going to talk to you today about five areas of deception and what the scripture says about these areas. Also, I'm going to give you seven verses that tell us how we can avoid being deceived. We can avoid being deceived. You know, the person in deception doesn't know they're deceived. So we've got to live by these word, this word, and these seven verses will help us understand, okay, this is the way I need to live, so I cannot be deceived. You know, and I just want to give you one stat. Uh, there was a study by Arizona Christian University, uh, 9, 10, 21, and it said just 6% of born-again Christians hold a biblical worldview. Only 6% hold a biblical worldview. You know, and yet, thank God we have the Word of God that tells us the truth, that we can walk in the light of the gospel, and we can uh, enjoy the blessings of God so we can be a blessing to others. Thank God we have the truth, the Word of God. But we've got to be in the Word to find out what it says. You know, now the most critical area of deception is to do with salvation. Now, I'm not going to talk about that here today because we all know you're taught here the Word of God, and we all know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that He suffered and died for our sins on the cross, He rose from the dead, and that we need to receive Him as our Lord and Savior and repent of our sins. That's the only way to heaven. We know that, but the world is a mess and doesn't know that. And just I'm going to make one comment about that. It's because the devil has come up with literally hundreds of religions so that the unsaved mind can say, wait a minute, that's not logical to say that you're the only one that's right when there's these hundreds of religions. You mean you're the only one? That's narrow-minded. So, so the devil puts out all these religions to confuse people. 
And that's the reason. So, and then also in the church, there's so many people that think they're saved because they said a prayer years ago, but they live like the devil. They don't obey the word. They don't obey the gospel. So they're deceived also because Jesus said, my mother and brethren are those that hear the word of God and do it. In Luke 8, 21. So that's really important. So uh, here's the five lies that we've been told. And I'm going to touch on these. We need to save the planet. That's one lie. Number two, there is life on other planets. We're going to look at that. Number three, all Bibles are created equal. You're going to see that they're not. Number four, hell is not eternal. That's what much of the body of Christ is preaching today, that hell is not eternal. And number five, that the earth wasn't created in six days. Now, I probably won't get to this point. I just want to say one thing about that. You might say, why is that important? Well, because... In the beginning, it said, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And it said that six times in a row. Then God said in uh, Exodus 20, he said, just as I work for six days and rest of the seventh, so shall man work for six days and rest the seventh. Yet much of the body of Christ, if you go to a Christian seminaries, most of, the, most of them teach that it wasn't six literal days. It was six eons of time. Now, God just compared his days of work to our days of work. He didn't compare six eons of time. But so it, the, my point is, if you don't take it literally, what the Bible said, there when it's so clear, then you probably won't take it literally in many other areas. And that's the case for the people that teach this. They don't take hell literally. They don't believe it's literal fire burning. They just think it's metaphorical thoughts and so forth. And uh, they don't believe in Jesus coming back and reigning on the earth. Many false things that they embrace because they first rejected that. And that's what we've seen. So anyway, I just wanted to cover that one point quickly. Uh, so number one, do we need to save the planet? Now, what does the Bible say? Genesis 8:22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. See, these people are worried that it's going to end, we're all going to burn up. And that's not the case. It's going to continue because God is running. I think he can take care of the earth. You know? Now, that doesn't mean we, we abuse it and we do our part and so forth, but we're not the ones controlling that. And also, people get sidetracked with these type of things to save the planet. No, we need to save people. You know? That's right. So, anyway, um, but to go on, you know, it's, so it's not the use of certain energy sources that's causing the damage on the earth or the weather changes. It's man's sin. And, you know, this is really interesting, but because we're made of the dust of the earth, we're part of the earth. When man sins, it affects the earth. And there's six verses I want to show you that are tied to the earth causing destruction because of man's sin. Number one, the broken covenant. In other words, God's command to obey his word. Number two, the shedding of innocent blood. Number three, worshiping idols. Number four, sexual sins. Number five, people not praising the Lord. And number six, no fear of God. Each one of these things, these sins, causes the earth to rebel. And I'm just going to give you a few verses. There's many of these verses. And I wish I could give them all to you, but broken covenant. Isaiah 24, 5 and 6 says, The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant, therefore has the curse devoured the earth. 
So there's a curse on the earth because of man's sin, number one. That's the overall. But then you can break it down to individual sins. And, and um, it says that uh, in Leviticus 20, 22, it says, uh, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and my judgments and perform them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell in may not vomit you out of it. So the land itself will vomit you out if you don't obey God's word. In other words, one of the ways it can vomit you out is through flooding. The, the, the earth produces floods and people get run out of the land. Another place is in number 16 where the men of Korah disobeyed Moses. They did not respect the authority and they rebelled against him. And the earth opened up its mouth and they swallowed them alive and they all went down alive into hell. So the earth reacted to the rebellion, to the sin. Uh, there's a shedding of innocent blood, Numbers 35, 33. So, so you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. So the shedding of innocent blood, the land gets defiled, and then it's under a curse. Um, Psalms 106, 37 through 39 says, They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Then sexual sin, Leviticus 18, 20 through 28, talking about adultery. And it says, for the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. So again, a vomiting out of the inhabitants. Another place, uh, in Ezekiel 33, 25 and 29, it says, uh, talking about defiling one another's wives. In other words, committing adultery. He said, I have made the land most desolate. Because of their abominations which they have committed. So God's made the land desolate again. The land is responding to the sin. See, it's not man using certain uh, energy sources that's causing this. It's man's sin. Psalm 68.6 says, the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Well, that's why they don't have any water. Because they're rebellious. They rebel against the word of God. Second Chronicles 6.26-31 says, when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned. So God holds back the rain so the land doesn't produce food when they've sinned. Uh, then we see this, Psalm 67, 5 through 6 says, Let the people praise thee, then the earth shall yield her increase. So many of these nations don't praise God, so they don't have any food. No praise, no food. You know? And then it's interesting, in Genesis 3, 17, uh, it says, Cursed is a ground for thy sake, talking about um, when Cain killed Abel. Uh, God said, curse is the ground for thy sake. Now, uh, and Adam and Eve, uh, this was actually with Adam and Eve because they are partook of the, uh, the forbidden fruit. So when they partook of the fruit, they ate the fruit that came from the ground. Then it said the ground, the land would bring forth thorns and thistles. So the land responded to their disobedience. And that, I thought that was interesting. And then this last one, uh, 1 Chronicles 16.30 says, fear before him all the earth so that the world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. So that's why there's earthquakes. The earth is moving because they don't fear the Lord in many of these places. And that happens even here, too, because there's so many don't fear the Lord in America also. You know, and it's interesting, we know Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek God's face um, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. So again, he tied the wicked ways to the land needing healing. 
So that is why that we're experiencing all the wickedness on the earth, the destruction, the strange weather behavior. It's all because of man's sin. That's the reason. But, but the world doesn't blame it on that. They come up with all these other things, you know. Okay, the second point is, is there life, you know, the, the lie is there is life on other planets. Even our government now has been uh, releasing reports about this topic and saying that this is a threat. This is a thing to be concerned about, that there may be life on other planets, and these are really UFOs and so forth. So now, it was interesting, a Pew poll, 6 21 said that 65% of Americans believe intelligent life exists on other planets. 76% under 30 believe it, and 85% of atheists believe there's life on other planets. So a good portion of the country believes there's life on other planets. And the government, why now are they coming out with it in the last two years? They've been investigating UFOs for 70 years, and now the government's coming out? Why? Well, here's a possibility. You know, the two top astronomers that were assigned to check out the UFOs uh, that the uh, country assigned was uh, Jacques Vallée and J. Allen Hynek. They investigated for 60 years. These are top astronomers. And after 60 years of research, they came to the conclusion, they said, these things are demonic. Wow. Now, this was, uh, and they were secular scientists. They're not Christian. This was in Dr. Chuck Missler's teaching about UFOs. Great man of God, Dr. Chuck Missler went on to heaven not long ago. But the point is, because they said these things defile the laws of physics, they have been clocked on radar. They've been seeing, people are seeing things, uh, and it's clocked on radar, but they're making right-hand turns at 16,000 miles an hour, and they appear in a, as a flash of lightning, and then they disappear. So they said that defies the laws of physics. Once, if it was an alien being, once they entered our laws of physics here, our atmosphere, they would be subject to them. They couldn't make right-hand turns at 16,000 miles an hour. So they concluded they have to be spirits. They have to be demonic. But let's look at these two verses. Uh, Ezekiel 1.16, describing a cherubim angel. It says, The appearance of their workings were as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Now, most of the reports are, it looks like a saucer, like flying with lights going up and down. That's what most of the reports report. So that's one of the verses. Ezekiel 1.13 says, uh, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now, don't forget, he's trying to describe lights you know, and he's saying that there is torches. Well, they didn't have light bulbs and electricity back then. So to him, it was like a torch of light going back and forth on these wheels, and they would move like a flash of lightning. Well, what does that sound like to you? So I believe, you know, and Satan was a cherub angel. So is it possible, could it be, uh, to explain away the rapture that the devil has to have appearance of demons in the atmosphere so that people can say, hey, look, there's aliens. So that when the rapture takes place and the Christians are gone, that's their excuse to say, well, they were taken up by the, the aliens. Could that be the case? I think so. Now, I'm going to give you some scripture, though, that indicate there is no life on other planets. These are interesting verses. First of all, Isaiah 45:18 says, the earth was formed to be inhabited. It doesn't say other planets. It says the earth was formed to be inhabited. 
Now, what was the planets for? Genesis 1.14 says the planets were created for signs, seasons, days, and years. It doesn't say they were created for life. They were created for signs, seasons, days, and years. We mark time by the movement of the stars and by the planets. That's their purpose. So that's interesting. Uh, next. Now, man is only created on the earth. There's seven verses that state this. I'll just give you a few. Deuteronomy 4.32 says, Since the day that God created man upon the earth. Isaiah 45, 12, I have made the earth and created man on it. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man is of the earth. Okay, so Adam was the first man on the earth. And then Ephesians 3, 15 says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So God's whole family is only in heaven and on the earth. If there was people on other planets, then he would have said, and on other planets. But he said, only the earth and so forth. And there's many more of these I can give you. Uh, next point, uh, Jesus came only to the earth to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 John 2.2, 2, uh, he died for the sins of the whole world. doesn't say he died for the sins of other planets, just for the sins. And it, there's many more of those verses. Another point is seven times it says that Christ suffered only once. Just give you a few. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ once was offered to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 9.12, he entered in once into the holy place. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also has once suffered for the sins of the world. So he didn't suffer. If there was people on other planets, he didn't suffer and die for them. And they would need a savior because they would be intelligent beings trying to reach earth. They wouldn't just be an animal. They'd have to have intelligence. They would need a savior and they have none. Jesus only came to the earth. He only put man on the earth, and uh, he only died once. Then his attention is always only directed to the earth. I'll just give you a few of these verses. There's many of these. Job 28, 24. He looks to and fro throughout the whole earth. Psalms 65, 9. You visit the earth and water it. Romans 9, 17. My name might be, be, be declared throughout all the earth. Now, if he was, had people on other planets... Wouldn't he say, my name might be declared throughout the earth and so forth? And then this last verse, Isaiah 54, 5 says, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Now, why would he limit himself to just the earth if there were people on other planets? So these are just some scriptures that give you an idea, you know, to, to not fall for the lie. We have many friends that are Christians that totally are, believe that there's aliens being coming here, and, and, and they, they get really wrapped up in that, and they follow all these uh, false reports and so forth. Okay, next point I'm going to bring out is um, all Bibles are created equal. That's the other lie. Now, I need to just do a little bit of informing here. You know, our Bibles come from two sources. Uh, the King James Version is based on the writings out of Antioch, that's where the apostles were based out of Antioch. And that became known as the Textus Receptus, or received text. So that's what our King James and a few other Bibles are based on. But all the rest of the Bibles are based on the Alexandrian manuscript. They were based out of Alexandria, Egypt. And there was a manuscript in the 500s that was called the Alexandrian Manuscript that was assembled. And that was assembled by taking two older manuscripts 
in the, the year 325 and 350 AD that were called the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus. So now, so they based their the the uh, Alexandrian on those two. Well, those two were written by Gnostics. And the Gnostics, if you don't know anything about them, they didn't believe in the deity of Christ. They didn't believe in the virgin birth. They didn't believe Jesus would come back again uh, uh, the second time. They didn't believe he would reign on the earth. They believed that the worship of Joseph or the worship of Mary and Christ was the same. You you worship Mary just as you do Jesus. That's what they... Uh, or, or worship God, and so forth. So that's, that was some of their belief. And um, these are the writers. Now, in more recent times, then it went to uh, two men in the 1800s, born in 1825 and 1828, Westcott and Hort. And they were two Anglican scholars, theologians, but they were also Gnostics. So they didn't believe in the deity of Jesus. They didn't believe in the second coming. They didn't believe of the virgin birth. Uh, and their favorite book was um, uh, Darwin's book, Origin of the Species. Uh, they were evolutionists. So these are the two that influenced our, all our modern Bibles. Now, I'm not saying that you throw out all the modern Bibles, all the different versions. There's many good ones, and we can use them because they have a lot of good. But the point was the devil infiltrated the Bible by injecting untruths here and there. And actually, there's 8,400 changes in all these other Bibles except for the King James and a couple others. So that's a lot of changes. But we can still use these Bibles. They help. They bring clarity. So I'm not telling you not to use them. I'm just telling you to compare them to the King James because that's accurate. You won't even know that there's a verse missing because they just take it out. You know, and I'll just read you one quote that Dr. Chuck Messer quotes Irenaeus. He was one of the early church fathers, and he was a great scholar, an apologist, an author, and he wrote five books refuting the Gnostics. And this is what he said. Wherefore, they and their followers have betaken themselves to mutilating the scriptures, which they themselves have shortened. And he was a great scholar, brilliant man, and there's many others that have... Uh, also pointed out that the Gnostics were mutilating the scriptures. So we need to be careful. So I'm going to give you just 10. There's 8,400 changes, but I'm going to try to get through 10. (laughs) I'll just give you 8,300. So, Okay. All right, first one. Ephesians 3, 9 says, Who created all things by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ is missing in 43 versions. Now, I found 50 versions of the Bible. I don't know how many there are for sure, but I found 50. And I read all 50, and I have them all here listed exactly which ones are missing. And uh, 43 are missing who created all things by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ is missing. Well, that's pretty important. Right? Why, why did they cut that out? Because they didn't, they didn't believe Jesus Christ created all things. That's why. Uh, the second verse, John 7, 8 through 10, says... Uh, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking to his apostles. He goes, you go up to the, this feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my, my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he re- remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Now, here's what they changed. They just said, you go up to this feast. I am not going up to this feast. They remove the word yet. Now, see, removing one word changes it because 
they say, I'm not going up to this feast. Then he went up to the feast. So it shows Jesus to be a liar. You see that? One word taken out. Because so they, they slip these things in all over the place. So you could say, look, the Bible has all these errors. Or Jesus was not, uh, you know, holy and perfect. And he sinned and so forth. These are the things they believe about Jesus. So anyway, that's a subtle change, but an important one. Uh, Matthew eighteen eleven says, For the Son of Man has come, uh, is come to save that which was lost. This whole verse is missing in 35 versions. That's important. The Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Why would they take that out? Okay. Now, it's interesting. The Wycliffe translation of this verse says, For man's son came to save that thing that perished. That thing that perished. What, in the, what does that mean? Also, they changed it from the Son of Man to man's son. Well, the Son of Man is a title. Man's son could be anybody. <clears throat> Just these little subtle changes they made. Uh, Mark eleven twenty six says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in, in, in heaven forgive you your trespasses. This verse is missing in 25 verses. 25 versions. So that's an important verse. And you've got Colossians 1, 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood is missing in 44 versions out of 50. What's well, his blood that cleanses us? That's pretty important to take out his blood. Acts 8, 36 through 38. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, this next verse, 37, which is in the King James, I'll read it. It says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, uh, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That entire verse is missing in 39 versions. But see, the reason they took that out is because they believed in infant baptism. See, this shows that you need to have understanding what hinders me. You know, I understand, you know, that Jesus is the Christ. So you have to have understanding to be baptized, not an infant. But they believed in infant baptism. So they removed that verse. Uh, Luke 11, 2 through 4. Uh, the, you know, in the, our Father, which art in heaven, right? The Lord's Prayer. They removed our and also which art in heaven in 42 versions. Why would you take that out? So, and then listen to the Lord's Prayer. I just want to read this to you in the Message Bible, just to give you an idea how far off some things can be. Um, the Message Bible says about the Lord's Prayer. Here's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three meals, three square meals a day. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. That's the Lord's Prayer. Now, here's a little subtle twist, you know. It, they're saying, uh, keep, uh, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. So God could do to help keep us forgiven. Well, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It says for us to forgive others so that we can be forgiven. See, they switch that around. So just subtle changes and so forth. Luke 9, 55 and 56. These next two verses are missing in 32 verses. Virgins. Versions. <laughs> <laughs> 
32 virgins. I'm trying to talk too fast. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's missing in 32 versions. It's not even there. So you would never know that that verse is there if you didn't read the King James. Luke 4, 4 says, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. But by every word of God is missing in 17 versions. That's pretty important, every word of God. This is a subtle one. Luke 2.33 says, And Joseph and his mother, that's how the King James reads. They changed it to, And his father and his mother. But see, Joseph was not his father. And that's in 42 versions they changed it. See these little subtle changes that they do. Uh, just a couple more. John 6.47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me has everlasting life. The words on me are omitted in 26 versions. On me, that's pretty important. Right? And then Mark 2.17 says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To repentance is omitted in 40 versions. So it would, they say, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Sinners to what? To repent. That's the whole point, you know. And then this last one, uh, Acts 2.30, it says, He would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That's the King James. Well, in um, 44 versions, it says, He would raise up one of David's descendants. One of the plays said, someone from his own family. And others said, that of the fruit of his loins. Well, all those could be anybody of David's descendants. It didn't identify Christ. So why would you change that again? So anyway, I'm just telling you this again to be aware. And there's much more I could give you on this. And there's many books you could study on this. And it's re really revealing when you find out the truth about how the devils try to infiltrate our our Bibles. Okay. Uh, now, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit, just real quickly, about hell. You know, being the hell man, I have to get in a little bit about hell. <laughs> and, you know, one of the points that, that a lot of the seminaries and so forth argue over is that hell is not eternal. They just believe hell is not eternal, and they change the definition of the word eternal to mean temporal. But let me just give you some proof real short here. This won't take long. Uh, Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said, These shall go into everlasting life, and these shall go into everlasting punishment. The word everlasting is the word aeonios. So he's describing heaven as everlasting, the same word to describe hell as everlasting. So you can't change the definition and say it doesn't mean eternal, because then heaven wouldn't be eternal. Right? And then Matthew 25, 41 says, Jesus said, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we know that the devil's going to be thrown into hell forever. He just said that people are go, going to go into the same place as the devil forever, right? Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that's clear that it's everlasting for the devil and it's everlasting for people. But God goes on to explain it further in Revelation 20.10. It says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he just defined everlasting as day and night forever and ever. Right? That's pretty clear. Revelation 14, 10 and 11 says, And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb, in the presence of the holy angels, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. 
and they have no rest day nor night. That's pretty clear. It's forever and ever. And I'm just going to give you a couple more. There's so many of these, but this is an interesting one. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So he was comparing things seen and not seen as opposites. Now he's comparing things temporal and eternal as opposites. So eternal can't mean temporal, as they say. It wouldn't be an opposite. You know, and in Luke 16, when Jesus talked about the rich man in hell, he said, you cannot come to us and we cannot come to you. So he just told us he cannot get out of hell. I mean, that's, it's not temporal or they think they're going to be thrown in and annihilated. There's many of these false teachings. Uh, many more verses I could go through, but I'm going to skip the rest of these because we've got to get to the next. Uh, I want to give you seven verses on how we can uh, keep from being deceived. Okay, number one. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to read the word and get it into our heart. That renews our mind, and we start thinking like God. And we no longer will just go by our feelings. We'll go by what the word says. This is what the word says. So we've got to renew our minds so we can keep from being deceived. Right? And there's more verses that back that up. But I'm going to go to the second point. Uh, Colossians 2.4 says, I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that have these well-crafted, arrogant uh, speeches and so forth. Even in churches that can trick you if you don't know the word. And that's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says to study to show yourself approved. So when you study the word, you will know what it says. You won't be deceived. Okay? So you won't be enticed by these uh, fair speeches and so forth. Number three, Jeremiah 49.16 says, you have, been, you have been deceived by the fear you inspire in others and by your own pride. Two things. By the fear you inspire in others. You know, there's a lot of people today living in fear, Right? I mean, it's amazing the fear that's gone on in the earth and in, in the body of Christ. And then they speak out that fear to their friends and everything. But the more they speak it out, the more they are deceived. And then it says their pride. You know, pride, how we protect against that is by humility. You know, to walk in humility. Because, you know, and David said in Psalm 35 that uh, a person that's humble prays and fasts. And it says even Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. So that is so important for us to walk in humility, and that protects us from being deceived, okay, and not walking in fear. The only thing we are to fear is God. We're not to fear man or anything else. Okay, so that's, uh, uh, there's a many more verses to back that. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Who you associate with is really important, you know, and um, Proverbs 13, 20 says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. A wise person is someone that walks in covenant with the Lord and is uh, walking in the ways of God. So we need to watch who we are associating with so they don't sway you into believing some of these things and then you get deceived. Right? Your friends should be people that go to church that are just like you, like-minded. Know the word. They're in the Bible. They love the Lord. That's the kind of people you need to be around so you're not going to be deceived. 
Uh, Hebrews 3.13 says, warn each other so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, you know, this, in Jack Hayford's Bible, he had a comment. He just said, the believer's best defense against self-deception is through mutual accountability to one another, especially to a local congregation. So like I was just saying, submit yourself to your friends that go to the church like here that are grown up with the word. They know the truth. So that if you start slipping in error, they will say, hey, wait a minute. Don't go down that road. You're going the wrong path. So that's why it's important for us to go to church. You've got to assemble with people of like mind. If you stay home and think, oh, I can worship the Lord at home. Well, now you're an island and you don't get influenced. It's really important. It's really important. Okay, and then um, let's see. We'll go to James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So you can't just hear the word, go to church, hear the message, and go home and never get involved and not be a doer of the word. Uh, a doer of the word is someone that gets involved, that says, Lord, I want to win souls. Use me. I want to win souls. And, and you start influencing as many people as you can. You bring them to church and so forth. You want to help feed the poor. You want to get involved in the church and do something. Use your talent or your ability at church here, right? There's all kinds of talents God's given each one of us. You can get involved and help. And do something, you know, so that's being a doer of God's word, and that keeps you from being deceived. But if you stay by yourself and you don't get involved, well, that's more likely you're going to get deceived. And then this last one, Proverbs 14, 8 says, The prudent understand where they are going, but fools deceive themselves. That's an interesting one, where they're going. If you look up all the commentaries and read this, it's talking about knowing your salvation, that you're going to heaven, number one. You have your direction. You know you're going to heaven. And also um, your call from God. You have direction and call from God. So you, you know exactly your direction, where you're going. So it's, if you're fulfilling God's purposes, you're walking in God's will, then you're not going to be deceived. You know I'm going to heaven and I'm serving God and this is my calling and I'm staying on that path. So now you're less likely to get deceived because you have direction, you have clarity from God. So just to summarize quickly, uh, number one is by renewing our minds with the word. Number two, uh, don't believe well-crafted arguments. Don't believe everything you hear. Study and do the research for yourself. Uh, number three, uh, by not fearing anything but God and walking in humility. Number four, by avoiding ungodly associations. Choose your friends wisely. Number five, by receiving correction from people at church in order to avoid sin. Number six, by being a doer of God's word. Get involved. And number seven, by having clear direction. Uh, your eternal destiny, you know it, and seek God on your destiny. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then God will reveal to you his plan for your life, and that's direction. Now you won't get deceived. So these are the things that will help us from being deceived. And if we already are in deception, and if we're humble and say, Lord, I, want, I don't want to be deceived. I want to fulfill all these things. I want to do what you've called me to do. Well, God will wake you up, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you where you're deceived. So we have to start with these verses that will really help us. You know, and um, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, the devil's the one actually bringing most of these deceptions to man. But if we submit ourselves to God, right, we can resist him and we won't fall for his deceptions. That's the point. So we are people of the light. We walk in, in the light, you know, and it's so wonderful to know God's word 
and have the truth. So we can't be swayed like the world. They're, they don't know right from wrong, good from evil. There's a scripture that says they don't know the right hand from the left. What's that? Oh, okay. Okay. Creation. All right, I'll take five minutes to just talk about creation a little bit. Um, let me see where I put that. got rid of those pages. Well, here it is. All right. The people that believe in, uh, you know, don't believe in six literal days, they also believe in what's called the gap theory. And that's a teaching that says there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 because it says uh, the earth was made without form and void. They say God would never make things without form and void. Uh, so he actually, there was a pre-Adamite age and he turned it upside down. He destroyed it because of the evil and the sin that was in the world. They gain all that from a gap in a verse. I don't know how they can get that, but this is many of the seminaries that believe this. And uh, some of the, you know, Nelson's Bible commentary and uh, a lot of others you know, believe this way. Jameson Fawcett Brown and I could Unger and so, uh, some others. But the point is uh, they embrace this gap theory. Now, what's the purpose of the gap theory? D Dr. Henry Morris, he's a Ph.D., he said uh, in his book, Defending the Faith, the gap theory was developed mainly for the purpose of accommodating the great ages demand by evolutionary geologists. See, a lot of the church, they want to look, um, uh, what's the word, uh, palatable? What's the word? Um, relatable to the scientist who thinks the earth is billions of years old. So they say, oh, yeah, we believe there's an old earth. And so they go along with that, and it leads to them believing in evolution. And a lot of these people believe in evolution. And, but, you know, there was no pre-Adamite age, just a couple verses because they say the old earth was destroyed, and now we're on a new earth. That's their point, right? But listen to this verse. Revelation 21.1 says, And I saw a new heaven. This is at the end of the thousand-year period, right before when that great, great white throne judgment. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So he's saying this earth right now is the first. Not, it's not the second. Okay, so right there, that verse disqualifies but first of all man was from the beginning you know i just want to read you a few verses there was no death before man for since by man came death first corinthians 15 21 so if god destroyed this old earth it was because of sin and there had to be death well there was no death it says for by man came death all right and romans 5 14 says death reigned from adam to moses so it didn't start until adam and then there was no man before death. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin enter the world, and death through sin, and thus death reigned, uh, spread to all men. So, in other words, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world. So, man brought the sin, and that brought the death. So, there was no man and no death on the earth before the six days of creation. So, that's really clear. And then... This Luke eleven fifty and 51 says that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel. So we just told you the first blood shed was from Abel at the foundation of the world. So there was no world before Adam and Eve, before the six days. 
And that's the point. And then Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Well, you have to have sin to have death. And man brought the sin. Okay? So that's the point. And then, you know, God made everything in six days. It says, thus the he- this is Genesis 2.1. says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And the word host there is armies of heaven. So in six days, God made everything in heaven and everything on the earth. And it doesn't say anything about other planets or any life on other planets. Everything he created was on the earth and in the heavens. And then it says um, in Genesis 2, 3, and 4, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth. So there was no history before man. I mean, so anyway, that, this is simple scriptures that can refute these false teachings. You know, and so, but if you go to a Bible seminary, you're, you're going to be taught wrong. So you need to study the word to know the truth. Thank God we have the truth. You, and come to right. Coming to Bible school, that is so important to go to the Bible school. Especially this one. <laughs> Amen. You really truly learn the truth here. You know, like I said, you know, we gleam from other pastors around the world, but we have never met one that embraces just about all of it. You get all the rich word of God here at this church. You really do. You learn about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, learn your authority. You learn to control your tongue. You learn how to walk in health. You learn how to be successful. You learn how to be a giver. You learn how to be a soul winner. All these things that are important to us as Christians. So I encourage you, if you don't go to the Bible school, just get plugged in. Go to it. It's so much fun learning it anyway, you know. I mean, the Word is fun. It is fun. So we are so blessed to go here. Amen.